0: He's been in 1,100 commercials, co-starred in 2,000 half-hour shows, but if he passed you on the street, you wouldn't recognize him. However, if he called your name and asked for directions, oh yeah, you'd recognize him as Raphael the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or the voice from Animaniacs who blurts out the iconic... Hello, nurse. Yes, the voice of those characters in War come from the golden vocal cords of Rob Paulson, one of Hollywood's most prolific and successful voiceover artists. But the most important role Rob was perhaps ever asked to play was not on TV. It was actually a real-life role he had no choice but to take, a warrior who would have to face a diagnosis of not just cancer but throat cancer and to battle to get his life and voice back, Rob Paulson, author of Voice Lessons, is my guest on Everyone
1: Talks to Liz. Rob, thank you for being here. Hello, Liz. <laughs> what a pleasure. Oh my gosh. I see, and what I'm folks, what you can't see right now is A, I'm surrounded <laughs> by lovely women, but on the other side of the glass, there are three young people whose collective age is probably half of my own. And mine. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much <laughs> I'm for I'm with you there. And as soon as I start saying, hello, nurse, or turtle power, hi, guys, they just start to smile. And that (laughs) is the most incredibly wonderful aspect of my career. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Oh, of course. You know, the minute we heard
0: about you, my producer, Tanya Joseph, and I said, you know what, get him on, get him on now. Uh, But before we get to your incredible story, You're the voice of Raphael, the red
1: masked turtle. That's me, baby. I was the original Raphael, and I will eat my hot fudge, marshmallow, tuna fish, and Doritos (laughs) pizza every darn day. I love it. I live in the sewer right here in New York City.
0: I recall that Raphael was hot-tempered, aggressive, kind of
1: sullen, rebellious. Kind of a smart butt, which is typecasting with respect to me, I would submit. My sweet mother has gone to that great uh, turtle there in the sky. But as uh, she would say, I love my boy, but uh, yeah, he's he's kind of a smart butt. But you know. a Brooklyn accent from a kid who grew up in Detroit? Why not? You know, well, you got to do what you got to do to make a living. Guys got eight. I mean, a turtle's got eight, eat, right? Us... <laughs> a turtle's got to yeah. eat. Well, of course, I was
0: always obsessed with
1: April O'Neil, oh, the sure. redheaded Report. newscaster
0: in Ninja Turtles.
1: Hello. Me. Right. Uh, and, and to this day, Every time I go to a Comic-Con, of which there are many, because they're ubiquitous now. I mean, they're springing up like zits on a (laughs) 12-year-old. And I go around and inevitably, uh, of course, people know that I've done these turtle things, and there will always be half a dozen, 10 young ladies dressed as April O'Neil, and they call it cosplay, right? You know, the costume, right? Mm. And it's fantastic. But what is even more exciting is that I'll see... 14-, 15-year-old young ladies dressed up as April O'Neil, who were not even halfway born in 1987. Well, kids used to run up to me in the 80s when
0: I was, well, let's see, I was in Columbus, Ohio in 89, Uh. and they'd run up and say, Mama, it's April April O'Neil. Because you'd be standing
1: with your microphone and stuff. And And, and the red hair.
0: hair. And I'd say, no, no, darling, I'm Liz Clayman.
1: Remember the name for future value. I don't think you know who I am, my dear. <laughs> Darling. No, that was great. But it's cool. It's a, it's pretty amazing.
0: Rob, what was your first encounter with cartoons? I mean, where did your love of the
1: voices in the cartoons start? I think not unlike pretty much most people who grow up. I uh, loved cartoons. Which ones? Uh, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes and Rocky and Bullwinkle, I think, were my most favorite ones. Disney as well, but Disney wasn't nearly as prevalent As it is now, uh, the the Disney, you know, parks were around. We had the Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday night on ABC. But there wasn't the, um, Mm -hmm. there weren't the the outlets for animation that there are now. But Looney Tunes were timeless then. I would watch them with my mom and dad and they would get the hip cultural references. Always. That I didn't get. But I liked that when the roadrunner made the coyote fall off the Mm -hmm. cliff and he'd fall all the way down just long enough and hear Uh the bottom. (laughs) And I love that. So the, the great thing I came to find out is those cartoons were made that way on purpose, to not condescend to the Such audience. Sure. Right. And now, Bugs is, I think, 70 years old this, this year. Mm. Mel Blanc has been gone for many years, but it doesn't matter. Did it's, you ever meet Mel Blanc? I did. I worked with him twice, and I got to really chat with him once. We were doing an episode. We were doing an, uh, uh, a Jetsons movie, Uh, many years ago at Hanna-Barbera. And the director, the late, great Gordon Hunt, who is also known as Helen's father, um, directed all the cartoons back there. And I was there working on um, this Jetsons project. He said, hey, Robbie, um, Mel's here today. Do you want to sit next to him? I said, you bet. So, Liz, I did what I had to do, which was kind of, you know, get myself together and say, Mr. Blank, big fan. I'm so sorry, sir. But if it's not, if it's not too much trouble, would you mind? And he knew exactly what I wanted. And that sweet man looked at me and said, yeah, what's up, doc? And honestly, it it blew my mind. And it was, it was a profound experience. You forgot this part. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. What's up, doc? Yeah, what's up, doc? But it was little
0: carrot. Crazy. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. But l- let's back up a little bit. Before sure. your voice career that you found when you
1: eventually moved to L.A., you were all about hockey and music. I was. In fact, <laughs> that's an odd uh, circumstance. I, The only other thing I wanted to do in my life was be a hockey player. And I grew up in Detroit. Red uh, Wings. Big time Red Wings fan. I got my Red Wings hat on today. The NHL store is right across the street. Oh, you have to go. Which is so bitching. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's all I want to do is be a hockey player. But fortunately for me in my career, uh, I got through high school, pretty good player. And then I had a chance to maybe play in college. And so we had kind of a, a walk on or skate on tryout. And some kid from Winnipeg, uh, totally clean hit, but he drilled me and I learned my lesson. It was like, okay, this kid's having trouble to get to the next level and he's way better than I. Mm -hmm. So you might take the hint here, son, you're done. And it really, he did me a big favor. I love the game more now than I ever have. I get to play on a team with a bunch of actors and we go around playing the old timers of teams and we have a ball to raise money for children's charities. But uh, the only other thing that I was really desperately in love with was singing and performing. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, hockey's um, hockey's grateful loss... Is uh, my gain? Well, certainly. I can only tell you—you you know,
0: my parents were Canadian. Oh, and Dad was first in line in '67 when the LA Kings oh, became a franchise. A franchise right. Yes, of
1: course. How? And this their 52nd year in the league. Yeah, now. but we were early. We were. Yeah.
0: You know,
1: Rogatien Vachon. Oh, my God. And Bill Flett. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, that was, and that was... Charlie Simmer. All Charlie those Simmer. Dave Taylor. Mar- Dave Taylor. Marcel Dion.
0: Marcel Dion. Uh,
1: they were um, purple and gold back oh, then. Oh, yeah. yeah. I still have the vintage
0: shirt. All Not right. Enough that. with the hockey okay. for a minute. Uh, but you packed your bags and you moved to L.A. from it Michigan.
1: Did. To do what? Ostensibly to do live action. I was a singer who became an actor, had a lot of theater experience, and relative to my age, I was 22 when I moved there. I'd had several years on the road, and I, like most performers, well, and also I suppose you you and I had the pleasure of chatting before we started. You were driven to do your gig. Yeah. Like you told me, you couldn't not do it. And look, I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better. However, the Jones I have to do my work has not changed at all, not at all. And that's what got me out there. I didn't go out there to say I'm going to do only this. I just said I want to perform. I want to be creative, perform, sing, whatever. Uh, and that's the reason I went. And I was doing all of that. I was doing with a lot the groundlings. Of, yes, I did a lot of stuff with groundlings. My dear late friend Phil Hartman was um, oh wow uh, an amazingly, incredibly inspirational guy. I used to call him terrifyingly inspirational because at the same time I was going there's there's no way I can carry that guy's water, Phil being the young, sweet man he was, kind of, you know, schooled me. He said, Robbie, it's it's not about you being like me. It's not about you being like Jonathan Winters, another hero. It's about you being inspired and finding your own way.
0: So <clears throat> you're, you're doing bit parts. Yeah. Uh, you do commercials. Uh, you got a role on <laughs> MacGyver. I did. I, I love was MacGyver.
1: A, how about that? Me and about, Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, let me go even further back. Love American Style? Oh, yes. Not the original one, but there was a second iteration right. in the 80s. And I was on <laughs> Love American Style with, um, oh, my gosh. Well, I, the I, original was founded by, you know, Saul Turtle That's and, right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was, in, uh, so, and also the one of the first cartoons I did was Johnny Quest. Is on tonight. Uh, right. And the original one was, uh, Johnny on the original show was Tim Matheson in the, really? 19, in the early 60s. Yep. And, of course, I was a big fan. Then there was Rebooted in the 80s, and the glory of cartoons. I got to be Haji. Oh. Right? How about that? Sim, Sim, Salabim. Careful, Johnny. It's a pterodactyl. <laughs> Rob <laughs> Paulson from they... Flint, Michigan, or Grand Blanc, Michigan. <laughs> oh I go and get to be. my gosh. So, yeah. Uh, I
0: love Johnny Quest. Me, too. Doctari. Cool
1: Doctari. Great. Kimba the White Lion. Yes. Oh, honey, you, you get
0: it. I'm there. Yeah, totally. And, of course, Speed Racer. Yes. The original. Yep, go Speed Racer, go. What was up with Chim Chim? And I never liked (laughs) Trixie. Chim Chim, come on. Okay, so how'd you get your first big
1: voice acting role? Um, My agent, God bless her, I'm still with them 40 years later. They took pity on a kid from Michigan 40 years ago. Good Um, that you're loyal. Thank you. Uh, I am, and they are as well. And uh, I was doing... Um, I had just done an episode of uh, St. Elsewhere, and my agent, Rita Benari, called and she said, you ever done animation? I said, well, no, you guys have booked me. I, I would love to. But remember, when I moved there, it was all relegated primarily to Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So the the um, volume of work was not was not there, and Mel Blanc and June Foray and the usual suspects were doing most of the animation. So when the opportunity arose, it was uh, uh, for these two new projects (laughs) called G.I. Joe and Transformers. And I jumped on it and I got a job. And I must tell you, Liz, um, the first thing that struck me was not only the incredible creativity of all these people, many of whom I recognized from episodic television when I was growing up. They were doing cartoons too. I mean, they just want to work. Right. But the utter um, creativity and not being... uh, Confined to their physicality they, they it it was literally like playing in a big sandbox because it was not about how tall you are, how short you are, right. your color, your size, it was about your ability to be creative, and that really struck a nerve with me
0: well, somehow, <clears throat> you got struck sort of oh, this coup sure. de coeur in French, it's this the cut to the heart we were yeah. so excited. You came up with what yako, yeah. The Animaniacs was such a huge deal. Yes. Thanks to Mr. Spielberg. Thank you very much. Of course. Carl Weezer.
1: Yeah, I'm Carl, too. And look at the girls laughing again. That's (laughs) the best part of my gig. Jimmy Neutron? Yeah, Jimmy Neutron, boy genius. And uh, Carl was his little chubby buddy that had an inhaler. And uh, that's what Carl sounds like. Pinky Pink. Yes. Pinky and the brain. I was Pinky, the stupid half. And you probably have people... (laughs) Who are listening now going, hey, God, I'll remember that show. Nerve. Yeah. (laughs) What about Darkwing Duck? Darkwing Duck. You were Steel Beak. I was Steel Beak, who also had a New York accent. And uh, (laughs) Steel Beak, or rather Darkwing, was voiced by my friend Jim Cummings, whom you guys also know as Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. And check this out. The magic of this gig, the same gentleman who does Darkwing Duck, Mm -hmm. Tigger, and the Tasmanian Devil. Are the same person. And Winnie the Pooh are all the same guy and Winnie. Yeah. And you know what? Your reaction right there, ladies and gentlemen, what Liz Clayman just did is, is something that happens every time when I'm with Jim and especially everybody, but especially women, they just go, Oh, Winnie. Winnie. And, and I promise (laughs) glad I'm so original. (laughs) No, it's, but it's so charming and it's utterly authentic. And I, I, jimmy is such a talented guy last year they had the movie um, you know called christopher robin with ewan mcgregor Mm -hmm. and jim was winnie the pooh and uh i remember saying to jim after i saw a clip of the trailer i saw jim at work one day and i said dude i know this is maybe a long shot but if there ever is an oscar for vocal performance you are right up there and you know a month later vanity fair had a cover story that said there is an Oscar worthy performance in Christopher Robin and oh. it's not Ewan McGregor. <laughs> and it was Jim. He He's a magical you guy. You know how to call it. Yeah. Well, you were winning
0: awards. Life is going brilliantly. <clears throat> yeah. Pretty You're going 100 guy. miles an hour. You've got all these characters. Lucky guy. Wife. Child. Yep. <clears throat> and you go in for a checkup. Yeah. What happened?
1: Well, <clears throat> what's the axiom? We make plans and God laughs. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, uh, I'm a typical guy, I guess, being a former hockey player, unless I have something hanging off (laughs) and it doesn't work, I just say, "Ah, I'll be fine. I had, the truth is I, I, and I, I love this opportunity that you give me not only to talk about fun stuff, but to tell more important stuff. Um, I had a lump on the left side of my neck for probably six months. Didn't hurt. I had no trouble eating, swallowing, wasn't losing weight, I had no trouble working, pardon me. And so when it was time for my regular physical, instead of going in six months early, I just said, ah, I'll wait till I go to see the doctor. So I went in and I said, hey doc, what do you think about this? He put his fingers on it. I promise you, Liz, five seconds, five seconds. He said, that's not good, Rob. Oy. And I started laughing. I said, yeah, whatever. And he said, no, 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 I, it really isn't because if it were just a low grade infection,
0: it's soft.
1: Get, yeah, exactly. Precisely. i well, your father, doctor's daughter. I was going to say, yeah. So it, the doctor said it would be soft. This is a rock, and it probably is a lymph node. And uh, you need to see an ENT not, not yesterday. Mm-hmm. And within about uh, four or five days, it was, you know, they called, doctor called, and he said, how are you feeling? I said, I don't know. How am I feeling? He said, well, it's uh, stage three throat cancer. <sighs> now, I have to tell you, I was 59 when I was diagnosed. And while it wasn't something that I, you know, was excited about, (laughs) none of us said, oh, no, why, you know, I'm a voice actor, why me? Well, honestly, you guys, look, sadly, everybody knows someone who's dealt with cancer, whether it's personal or mother, father, people whom they love. So it was a big deal to me, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, the world has really crapped on me. But did you ever worry I might? Totally. Totally. Never, Never speak do my again. again. Yes, I did. And I and I have to tell you that the doctors were all very clear. They said uh, the, first, the good news is that you have what Michael Douglas had, what Jim Kelly had, what God bless him, Roger Ebert had, but he didn't get a hold of it early enough. And, and uh, we know, unfortunately, what happened. However, they said it's stage three because it's spread from the primary tumor, but we're pretty sure we can give you about an 80% chance of cure, not remission, a cure. However... Before we cure you, we almost have to kill you. And I asked them, to be honest, because I didn't want anything to be a surprise, moreover for my wife, because I knew I was going to be all juiced up and it was her who was going to watch me, she who was going to watch me kind of take a punch. And they did. They said it's brutal for obvious reasons. It's your throat, your mouth, your jaw, and... It was.
0: It was very tough. What were the worst parts when you're going through the treatment? I mean, I would imagine your throat's on fire, dry exactly. heaving, wasting away. All of the above.
1: Yeah. I lost 50 pounds. I. Um, they told me that they thought, look, we, we're pretty sure every uh, patient who goes through this treatment regimen usually loses an average of 25 to 30 pounds. And in my case, the doctors, uh, they make a calculated guess. That is to say... You're in good shape. I've always been athletic. You don't have any pre-existing conditions. You don't smoke. You're not pre-diabetic. Blah blah blah. You know what? Um, most of the time, we give these patients a a G tube, a food tube, mm-hmm. so that when you can't eat for a month or so, a couple of months, you, we can squirt food in your stomach mm-hmm. and we mitigate the weight loss and more importantly, the muscle loss. But you know what? If we don't have to open you up to any possible other infections because you're you're um, system's going to take a beating. We are pretty sure you can handle this without the food tube. And uh, I got to say, if I had to do it again, I'd probably get the food tube because <clears throat> once I got to a certain point and my wife started to really get worried, she said, wait a minute, he's down 40 pounds mm-hmm. now and he can't eat, he can't even drink water. Um, that's not a big deal. I, I had them teach me how to hook up myself to, um, you know, IV bags every day so I could get fluids Um, but ultimately as a result of, of not getting the tube, I ended up losing about 50 pounds. Um, and I've gained about 15 of it back. So definitely Rob point, Rob 2.0 is different, but not necessarily worse. Um, the doctors did say, we're virtually sure we can cure you. We know you'll be able to speak because the tumor is not on your vocal cords. Will you be able to do it at the level you were doing it to make a living we don't know, but that's frankly not our worry We're our job is to save your life. But, you know, that, you know, being uh, the daughter of, a, of a, a skilled medical professional, you really learn what the art of medicine is to be able to literally meet a guy off the street, suss him out, take a little blood and say, OK, we know what you got. You're this tall, you weigh this much, we know precisely the cocktail and the amount of radiation to give you yeah. to take you right to the edge, kill the bad stuff, but not too much of the good stuff. It's miraculous. I always feel
0: that on balance,
1: doctors and pilots are the heroes of the world. Well said. Yeah. Amen. I, I, honestly, to be able to do that and that, you know. Sadly, the next day that I, when I was on my road to recovery and treatment, the next day they met some other fellow who yeah. came in yeah. with the, or a woman. But they save. But them. they do. And that's precisely right. And I was no different. And the truth is, as a result of nice people like you to have me come on and tell my story, I have a much better story now. And I get to do something that's way bigger than my paycheck. And I can still make a living doing it. I, <laughs> Honestly, Liz, I really do feel, uh, you know, when you get these glorious opportunities and you, as the song says, you know, look for the silver lining, I didn't have to look very far. I, I'm a very fortunate fellow.
0: Well, that's the hockey in you. Totally. Always looking for the that's in there. Right. You got to score that goal, never My nose stopped. is a
1: little bigger. Matter of fact, you'll love this. The first time I, I took my wife home to meet my parents and she saw a picture of me when I was, before I'd had my nose broken playing hockey. And she said, oh my gosh, you used to be really cute. <laughs> Used to be. <laughs> what the hell's the matter with you? Hey, at least you have your teeth. That's right. They've been banged around, but they're mine. Yeah. Well,
0: I, I'm thinking all the time about these golden vocal cords. Yeah. You know, Keith Richards, the Rolling Stone guitarist, insured his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Durante, believe it or not. His insured, Yeah,
1: his nose. Yeah. His nose. Did you ever think about insuring your voice? Interestingly, I talked to my business manager about that before I had cancer. This was probably 20 years ago because- mm-hmm. I think it was actually my wife who said, you know, um, this gig is now paying for everything from toilet paper to dog food. Maybe you should. And he said, well, you know, uh, we could. But as you probably know, it's very expensive to insure uh, uh, a specific body part. If you're, pardon me, uh, Kathleen Battle and you want to ensure your incredible voice uh, mm-hmm. or your mother was an actress, you know, to ensure that golden throat is very expensive, which is uh, um, commensurate with the type of money that you can earn with it, you know, if you lose it. And his point was, look, you do really well, but in your case, you're not a place kicker. You know, you're not a golfer. Mm. If you, even if you lose your legs, you're not going to collect. If you can go wheel in front of a microphone and you can still talk, they're not, you know, you can do that. So he said, and, and I've since spoken about it, he said, unless you get... Hitting the throat playing hockey, or you get there's no you know, maybe you get throat cancer or something like that. (laughs)
0: Oh God, he really said that he
1: did. And it was twenty years ago. And of course he says, Look at you though, you don't smoke, you don't drink heavily, you're (gasps) not overweight. So he was correct. I mean, I I had no problem with the advice he gave me because he showed me it was I don't know if it was Lloyd's, but it was expensive. Well you
0: know and her legs. legs, Same thing, of course. Yeah. You grow up in Hollywood and you you know know all of these things. Uh, Well, I guess now as you look back and you've got Emmys and and Peabody Awards, these major accomplishments, looking ahead to the characters that you hope
1: to play someday, you know, where do you get the inspiration for them? Um, Honestly, the same place I think I did when I was 10. And that is uh, something that innately makes me feel joyful. Uh, I don't know how to explain it other than you know, your mother's uh, was an actress. Um, often performers say, you know, if it, if it makes me laugh or it makes me cry, I think I can translate that to the audience.
0: But what's the process? They give you oh, a script. Yes, that's different. They explain in their minds the producers or the writers. Correct. Here's what we envision. I mean, the Ninja Turtles. I know. Can you How imagine do you that pitch? Wrap
1: your mind around that pitch. Tell me about it. I was literally working on another show called Fraggle Rock. Okay. No and, way. And um, I... Uh, the director at that time came in to my myself and a couple of other actors and said, Hey, you guys, I'm casting this new thing called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Do you guys want to come and read? And of course we're actors. Yeah. <laughs> we want to come and read. And I was sort of familiar. I'd heard about it because it was a comic book first. Uh, and it was sort of an underground, you know, independent publisher, but I'm not a comic book guy. I was just heard of it. And, uh, What happens, and to this day, is the process in terms of casting an actor in that circumstance is that the producers, writers, artists will be in there on the other side of the glass, give you some of the lines, you know, maybe a couple of pages of the sides to look at, Mm -hmm. character description, and it's very collaborative. Um, I don't want to go in there and say, here's how this character is going to sound, because it is an utterly egoless pursuit. I don't draw them. I don't write them. and just as I'd like to think I'm good at my job, I put in my 10,000 hours. Man, you get these world-class animators on the other side of the coin and writers uh, who win Emmys as well. And it, it when it works together and it works really well, it's it's timeless and it's magical. And they respect my input. They say, what do you think, Rob? What do you think this guy or Billy West or Maurice LaMarche or Frank Welker or you know uh, uh, Mel Blanc, mm-hmm. June Ferret, the usual people... And it's, again, it's very. It's bouncing stuff off the wall. What do you try a little bit? How about a little more Groucho? You mean know the Groucho scent? Let's try that Groucho vibe with that little tweak you did a couple of takes ago. Let's go back to that. And then you just play. Okay. So you've got to tell us the genesis of the tone and the feel of Hello Nurse. That was, again, the Marx Brothers um, experience. <laughs> I had done a show with that same crew called... Tiny Toon Adventures that was also produced by Steven Spielberg, um, who, by the way, folks, I'm sure you probably already know this, but he's one of the most delightful, sweet people. And Liz, you've rubbed shoulders with a lot of very famous people, many more than I. But when you're lucky enough to be in the presence of somebody who's not only the best of the best, but they move through their life with utter grace and kindness to everyone, what an example on how to behave if you cultivate any celebrity. So we had worked together. I actually did a couple episodes of a show he did called uh, Amazing Stories on Camera. And I did a bunch of voice work on a nice little movie he made at the time was called A Boy's Life, which turns out to be E.T., (laughs) <laughs> I still get a check for 87 cents from E.T. Well, wait, what did you do for E.T.? I was doing... There were doctors in the show in which... They, yeah, you know, I remember bring, that scene. And all the doctors were real doctors, and they were pretty much, according to Stephen, devoid of, you know, acting chops. He hired real doctors for that scene yeah, they're where they're like trying, a, trying to... I think we're bagging them. We need this. Okay, we need a little more excitement, so I would go in and loop stuff, and not just me, a bunch of other actors, but... Nonetheless, I'd had the privilege of working with Mr. Spielberg on Tiny Toons, which was a big hit. And that was essentially Looney Tunes as little critters. So uh, a couple of years later, we heard through the grapevine, hey, man, Warner Brothers and Steven are doing another big show. And this time it's a clean sheet of paper, 40-piece orchestra for every half hour, just like they did with Looney Tunes. Lots of music. And you know that thing when you're a kid and you hear that phrase that luck is when opportunity meets preparation mm-hmm. that's one of those seminal moments in my life where i thought man i i'm getting the high heat right over the plate this is my pitch and i i have to get this show um and it was a long process it was about a six-week audition with probably seven or eight callbacks but the Show thing and the hello nurse thing was pretty much a ripoff of the Marx brothers. And so when they, uh, Tom Ruger, the, uh, you know, the folks, the, the line producer, the showrunner was with us in the studio and and saying, look, we really like that, that smart ass kind of vibe. You got a la Groucho things like, um, um, <laughs> Hey, Dra- Hey, Batman, does Dracula know you're wearing his cape so badly? Um, let's use that little kind of eyebrow raised Marx brothers thing. And we've got this little phrase that we're going to, that could have been in duck soup or night at the opera and, Hello, nurse. So let's stay with, try that little because he's small. Let's make it hell, like that—that that helium thing. Hello, nurse. And and it just stuck. And you're doing that, and the ladies on the other side of the glass are doing that. And I promise you, if I go down and talk to those sweet um, security producers. people or producers downstairs, they're going to go, "Oh my god." And that is the genius of the people who put it together. They know when it works. But you make it come alive. Totally. And yeah. as you mm. were so
0: smart to actually put pen to paper in this book oh, that explains bless it your all heart. voice lessons. Thank you. Perfect title. What has this journey taught you
1: and what would you like to impart to our listeners? Um what it has taught me ultimately is the power of, and it is hackneyed, I suppose one can say, but it's the damn truth. Uh, I always, I, I appropriated that line from Reader's Digest. It said, laughter is the best medicine in the back of every book. You know, they'd have half a dozen jokes or whatever. And I used to eat that stuff up. And I, Now I say, laughter is the best medicine. The cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. <laughs> and I am living proof of that. But the book conveys... Uh, Not only my career, but um, I think as you and I discussed earlier, the last thing I think the world needs is another Hollywood celebrity memoir, especially from a non-celebrity. The characters are famous. However, once I went through my experience with cancer, I did not know, Liz, the extent to which these characters are profoundly important to people. Absolutely. I had had, I don't know, hundreds of experiences of talking to children on the phone as Pinky, or Raphael, or Donatello, or Yakko, and not just me, Nancy Cartwright, who's Bart, Tom Kenny, who's Spongebob, Jim Cummings, you can only imagine how many days Winnie the Pooh talks to people. And often, and I mean more than half of those hundreds of kids didn't make it, right? And more often than not, the parents- You're talking about sick kids. Yes. More often than not, the parents knew their kids weren't going to make it. So You know, my son is married, healthy, fine. I never had to worry about, oh, my God, how am I going to get my kid through this, right? The number of times that I would talk to children and then their parents, God bless them, keep in touch with me. Then they hear about through the grapevine, oh, my God, Robin, Mr. Paulson, I'm so sorry. We heard about your, just please know that we're thinking good thoughts. And here's the last picture of you talking to Chad. Uh, who had muscular dystrophy. And he, you write he, about him in the book. Oh, and he's the metaphor. And uh, and it's all true. And when, honestly, Liz, how on earth do these parents get up the next day and, and put their pants on? And they call me to thank me, or rather thank Raphael, for bringing so much joy to their sweet little boy or girl who was only going to leave that hospital in a bag. On How on earth do I quantify that compliment? Moreover, little did I know that they at these talk about profiles and courage, these children were preparing me for my own time in the cancer cage. Mm. The number of times, and you touched on it earlier when I was going, I haven't eaten for, you know, two weeks. And, and every time I dry heave, it hurts a lot. My throat's on fire. All that stuff they told me was going to happen. But in the middle of it, there are times, you know, in your Vicodin induced stupor, uh, where you say, I, I don't think I can do this another day. And I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, and there are some of you out there who have had this experience, whatever it is that gets you through an impossible circumstance, um, you have, you know, that memory of Chad laughing between uh, sessions of his mother banging on his back to loosen the mucus in his chest so he can breathe because he can't sit up. And then it makes you really prioritize what is difficult. Yeah at 59, not eight. And that is what the book is about. And ultimately, what I want people to understand is that (laughs) I think joy, like love, comes from the most unexpected places. And a person who's made their living, happily going to work, I get paid to do, it used to get me in trouble in seventh grade. And I work with the most (laughs) talented people in the world. I come and talk to world famous people like yourself. I meet all these lovely kids, they all make a fuss over me and, you know, the characters. And it turns out that my work and the work of those of us in this medium is a lot bigger than a paycheck and an action figure. And it sounds silly, but I didn't know that. And I do now. And I have, thanks to you, a bully pul- pulpit from which to to speak my truth, as they say.
0: Let me just clarify. Yeah. I'm only cable famous, not world famous. <laughs>
1: Okay, there's a difference here. Well, you know, it's funny. I had a friend of mine too. Oh, this is so great. I had an interview a couple of years ago, and the guy says, uh, "Mr. Paulson, uh, you won an Emmy, but that, but, but <laughs> it was a daytime Emmy, right?" Oh. And I said, and I said "Well, yeah, but." He goes. Oh no, I didn't mean to offend you. I said, "Oh yes, you did. I know exactly what you're talking about." And you know what, son? You're right. It is different winning a primetime Emmy. So I, I, I know what you're talking about. But nonetheless, I'm not giving it back. Although what I've learned is that the Emmy in five bucks will get you a latte. Uh, yeah. Tell me about it. Right. I've got two local Emmys <laughs> sitting in the,
0: right. <laughs> on the bookshelf gathering dust. How about that? It is so lovely to have you, Rob. You fit Thank you, madam. our mission here at Everyone Talks to Liz to a T, which is the climb. People look at success stories like yeah. yours. They have no idea the backstory, Right. And I always want people to leave listening to these podcasts thinking, if he could do it,
1: why not me? Bless your heart. And I have to tell you, when I was lucky enough to have my publicist say, hey, Liz Claman," And I said, oh, great. I did not know about the podcast. I knew about your work mm-hmm. and you're being, you know, an anchor and all of your work. But when I found out about, I said, oh my God, this is so right up my alley because my book literally came out Tuesday and I'm here in New York doing this all week I had a signing last night at the strand and and all of that and I'm having the time of my life I don't even know how many books I'll sell but you know what that's not the point the idea is to do exactly what you let me do and it is a big deal Liz. and what you're doing is so important um, because you never know again where the inspiration comes from whether it's a captain of business or a knucklehead from Flint who does silly voices and you know it doesn't matter It's about the the inspiration, so thank you, madam. You've really given me a great opportunity. Bless you, and thank you for the joy you've brought millions of children
0: and adults. My pleasure.
1: (laughs) You get a free ticket to the water tower, Liz.
0: (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Rob Paulson is the author of Voice Lessons, and, and I hope you guys have really sensed the true sort of focus of what I've always wanted you to think about, and that is, Nobody. I don't care what they look like on Instagram or how great their life looks like on social media, nobody gets to see a rainbow without having seen some rain
1: first. Amen. Well done.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, don't always, you better always watch 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, The Clayman Countdown. Save your money, grow your money, (laughs) preserve your money, buy me chocolate, whatever you want to do. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.